When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do you know why you got the unsportsmanlike? No, I don't. I got the guy ran forty yards away and dropped a flag. I have no idea. What is your? I'd rather him drop it on my feet. Did you say anything? Yeah. No, prior to I the flag. No, no, yeah. Something that you think warranted an unsportsmanlike? I, it's not my judge. Drop it on my feet next time. So clearly, you were unhappy about the totality. I'm of not going. I'm not going to comment about anything else. Don't go 40 yards away and drop a flag. How about that? Goes. All right. Welcome into another edition of another Carolina podcast. Our no huddle episode here on Monday, as we do every Monday to talk about South Carolina's most recent football game. I'm Wes Mitchell alongside Chris Clark, both, of course, from GamecockCentral.com, and talking about the Gamecocks 38 to 27 loss at the hands of the then number nine Florida Gators. Uh, Chris, uh, just another odd game. I think it's been a – it always is, but it's been another season of, of just strange games, and this one took place in a uh, pretty consistent rainstorm. Uh, South Carolina, I, I thought, controlled a, a large portion of the game. Uh, was right there, again, with the number nine team in the country. And, um, you know, as much as we're going to talk about the officiating, and, and that was a big storyline of the game, I think also – you know, Florida made plays late. They still deserve credit for that. Uh, Will Muschamp mentioned that in his teleconference on Sunday. You know, taking nothing away from Florida, they did make plays late. But uh, the the big topic of discussion, obviously, on our message boards, on social media, ha- has been, you know, the referees and, and the impact of, of some no calls in this game. And, you know, I, I thought, Chris, the most interesting thing about the reaction to, to these calls isn't just from – South Carolina fan base, you know, every fan base is going to have issues with officiating in, in a lot of games. Um, you know, sometimes your local media is going to have issues as well. But the thing that told me, okay, I'm, I'm not being biased just from, you know, being around here and, you know, a team I've covered for a long time was that you just look and nationally the, uh, the national media response and just random fans from around the country that were watching this game responding to how the officiating went in this game. The fact that pretty much all of them were, were siding with South Carolina told me something about uh, what we witnessed and just you know and not to say that South Carolina would have won this game if, if not for those calls you know we don't know how things would have played out uh, again Florida made the plays but uh, just sort sort of sucks honestly is the best way I can think to even say it that you had these two really close evenly matched teams that are just going to war in the rain fun game you know tight game and the fact that we're talking about the referees here now another 48 hours later as opposed to the actual football game. Yeah, and that's the disappointing part. I totally agree with you because the issue with the officiating in this game is that it is completely overshadowing the game, right? It's um, Did it have an outcome on the game? I mean, it's hard to argue against that fact. I, I'm with you. I don't want anybody to think us talking about the officials as excusing you know, how, for example, you know, how South Carolina played on offense or 
a, a fourth down conversion they gave up or some of the third downs they gave up. It's not even excusing the 75-yard touchdown run, a big part of it, where South Carolina just didn't fit it right and missed a tackle. But um, the, by the rules of football, <laughs> those two scoring plays uh, should have been wiped out. I mean, with, with, with three different calls on two plays. So that's the bottom line. And I think it's unfortunate that it is such a discussion point because it's overshadowing the student athletes and the efforts they put in. Um, would it have been a closer game or would the outcome have been different? I mean, we'll never know. Um, maybe Florida still goes and wins. Maybe, maybe Florida has first and 15 and they go down and score. After, you know, if they wipe off that 75-yarder as they should have. Maybe Florida, they're still down in the red zone if they get the offensive pass interference. Maybe they score a touchdown there. Who knows? We, we'll never know. But, you know, if I'm Florida, I'm upset that that's the storyline because they are a top-10 team. They're an excellent football team. They go to Columbia. They come back uh, in tough conditions, and they win that game on the road. Um, but, yet, that's not the storyline. The storyline's the officials for South Carolina – you know, you feel like you got hosed, which they did. I mean, you, you can't argue against the fact that they got hosed on two calls that directly led to scoring plays. This isn't just, you know, a phantom holding penalty or sort of a sketchy defensive pass interference. This is a complete hosing on two plays that uh, resulted in scores. So, um, you know, I, I think it's unfortunate. Uh, I think the way that the officials called the game and conducted themselves was disgraceful. And I think the way that the SEC has handled the aftermath of it, um, especially after sp spending a whole offseason discussing how they were going to improve officiating, how they were going to improve, um, you know, the transparency of what they were doing with the officiating in the conference, I thought it was – I thought it's just spineless, honestly, how they've handled it. Well, you have this new – this Twitter account that's supposed to uh, be designed – um, we all assumed it was a design to to be more transparent about how plays are called and why they're called a certain way and just interpretation of certain rules in, in specific instances, you know. And then this is like one of the most glaring – and I'm sure there's been other chances for them to use that account, uh, you know, throughout the year, but it, it seems like that account has more defaulted towards here's one we got right and why we got it right as opposed to um, – here's here's a mistake and why it was a mistake and uh, this was our bad. I, I mean, not that, again, it doesn't change anything. Uh, you know, Will Muschamp mentioned on Sunday that he uh, talked to Steve Shaw, the SEC had, you know, director of officials, uh, talked to Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, um, kept those conversations to himself as far as the contents of them. But uh, the point being, it you know, it, it doesn't change anything. They're not going to invite all the fans and the two teams back and <laughs> – and restart this game, you know, with a hold called on, uh, you know, on the long touchdown run and say, let's see what happened and let's bring in a rain machine so that we can recreate the conditions of the game. I mean, I mean, it's absurd at this, at this point it's, it's in history. It, it happened, but uh, it, it just sort of, you know, the, the fact that I think the big thing is just that, you know, there's, there's always judgment calls in football and there's always missed calls in football. Um, I think the the reason why this is getting such a reaction is that you're talking about a football game that these these missed calls were a both directly on touchdowns. You know, like they're on scoring plays. They were big plays. Um, one of them, for instance, has a missed false start, which I don't see how is missed. 
a missed hold that is right in front of the official. Um, so they're they're just blatant misses, and they're on scoring plays. Then the other one, the, the missed offensive pass interference, comes literally right after you've called South Carolina for a defensive hold that took away an interception, which was the correct call. Um, and then you're in a situation again where – I mean, I actually have that replay pulled up right now as we're talking. And, okay, it is a first-and-goal situation. You have trips to the right. You have three receivers over there, and every everybody who knows football or watches a bit of football and sort of looks at trends, you know that if a team is trying to put three receivers to a certain side of the field, that you're going to get some type of combination route with those guys crossing paths and in this day and age of college football, you're probably getting, if you're throwing, you're getting some type of pick route. And there's a referee literally standing right in front of where those three receivers are. There's two wide receivers and a tight end on that side of the field. That's That's got to be where your eyes are, I would think. So I don't see how you're not anticipating that you're getting some type of rub slash pick route and trying to um, – you know, see is it is it a legitimate play or is it a blatant pass interference? And these things, a lot of times, yeah, they don't get called. I I understand that, but the thing is, you can't just pick the guy off and block him. You have to at least make it look like you just cross paths with him. I mean, the 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 excuse me, the Florida receiver is literally blocking R.J. Roderick, <laughs> and the ball is and there's no well maybe the ball was behind the line of scrimmage because if that's delivered behind the line of scrimmage it's just a screen and you can hit him the ball is a good 1 2 3 three and a half, four yards past the line of scrimmage when Pitts catches it for the touchdown so it's it's not just that you miss some calls they're they're all you know these are human beings we know they're going to miss some stuff you can't watch everything but it's the fact that they were just very clear penalties and things that you should be looking for as an official, I, I don't understand how the offensive kick play isn't one of these things that they've identified as something they're going to pay attention to, especially when anybody who knows the trends of the game knows at goal line spread, three receivers to one side of the formation, you're probably getting a pick play. Well, there's three officials that have that are in position to be able to see that play, not just one, three. I mean, going back and looking at some of the views, um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's absurd to miss it, especially like you said, just knowing the trends of the game and also the fact that, and I couldn't say for sure that South Carolina sent this in, but you know, a lot of times th- there's a lot of talk about schools sending in plays for review to the conference after, mm-hmm. or maybe just clarifications. Hey, why was this not called? What, what was the thought process here? Um, sometimes it's just clarifications as opposed to you guys blew this one. But plays are things are also sent in beforehand. You know, information on here's what we've seen. Please watch for this. You know, um, they, they, you know, they'll run these certain, you know, look out for holding in these situations, and they yeah. point those out to the officials in advance so that they can talk about them and be on watch for them. So I have no idea if South Carolina has seen this before. I don't know, but the point is. All these plays, these three fouls that we're discussing are all blatant. I mean, they're not close. There's no room. There's no room for interpretation. I guess you could say the holding is the one where there's a little bit of room for interpretation. Not really to me. Yeah. But but I mean, those would be it'd be false start, offensive pass interference, and then the holding in terms of just obvious to least obvious. But they're all obvious. 
Um, you know, a false start is, is the easiest call in football to make if you're an official. It's the mm-hmm. easiest one. Um, it's not like he jumped 10 seconds before, you know, but it, it was obvious. I mean, I saw it live. Most everybody saw it live. It was obvious. So I, I think, I think it's, it's a difficult pill to swallow. Like you, I think people are frustrated because this has continued to happen. And I think people should be more upset because, you know, you look back at what Commissioner Greg Sankey said back in, I think in late November last year, he continually talks about, hey, we're going to we're going to take a deep dive into what we're doing with officiating. And really all that's come out of that is that they've done some things. They've let Steve Shaw do some more interviews. They Mm -hmm. have, um, you know, started the SEC officiating Twitter account. But really, when when you pull back the layers, all it is 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 an extension for the SEC's PR arm. That's all it is. Yeah. I mean, just call, just call it what it is. It's a way for them to defend what they're doing. And Greg Sankey's been on record about this. He said, look, you know, yeah, we'll be transparent when we screw up, which they really haven't. But there's, there's nothing – there's no penalties announced for officials. They're, they're hesitant to do anything to officials. Um, but he, he has said that the importance – you know, it's important for them to be able to inform the public when they were correct, you know, to sort of defend that institution. And that's really all they've done. You go back and look at the SEC's officiating Twitter account. That they've discussed uh, nine games this year, nine games since they started that account because this is the first year. Out of those nine games, every single call that they've discussed has been just clarifying a rule or talking about how the officials made the correct call on the field. <laughs> There's been none, we blew this call. There's been none, yes, the officials should have done this. That's it. And, yeah, they encouraged – you know, broadcast partners to put former officials on there. That's why we saw Matt Austin. And I mean, to his credit, he pointed out two of the penalties, the other one, the holding, he sort of lost some credibility with what he said. Uh, but, th- but those things, I mean, look, they, they don't really help. What, what are you actually doing, you know, to solve the officiating? Why, why do they not, why are officials the most, you know, revered institution in the SEC? I think that mm-hmm. that's the issue. The players, are under the gun, the coaches, the administrators, they can be fined if they do anything, if they can say anything, and those are handed out with extreme precision and efficiency. But when it comes to the officials, you can't say anything, nothing's done. It's really just sorry about next time. And that's not mm-hmm. something that anyone should stand for, to be honest with you. Yep, you're right. So um, I guess plenty more on all that on the site right now on Gamecock Central um, and, you know, continued coverage of South Carolina versus Florida and, of course, starting to look ahead to South Carolina versus Tennessee, which is now uh, – oh, well, always was a huge game for South Carolina. But, um, you know, another game South Carolina obviously needs to win. Let's let's get into the actual football game, South Carolina against Florida this past week. You know, my, my first takeaway, I guess we'll sort of give our um, broad – uh, spectrum thoughts and we'll sort of move in a little bit more my my first thought the first thing that sort of caught my eye in this game Chris was that uh, South Carolina belonged on the field with Florida you know I, I thought top 10 team coming in um, a team that had just gone on the road and hung in there with LSU has some really good players very well thought of nationally and um, you know considering the way the season started for South Carolina obviously lots of questions about that team they get the big win at Georgia but I, I thought the Gamecocks belonged on the field with this team. I thought up front in particular, 
you know, running game for South Carolina offensively, stopping the running game for South Carolina defensively, other, uh, you know, other than obviously the, the big run, uh, you know, where they got maybe knocked out of a gap or two. The, you know, they're on the field. They deserve to be in this game. They, I thought they head-to-head were right there. Florida just, you know, made more plays late, even with the officiating blunders, which were obviously we, – we've talked all about that. But you give Florida credit. I thought the – you know, when, when Florida flipped the field towards the end of the third quarter, South Carolina had the, uh, the personal foul for hitting the quarterback low that it helped, uh, you know, sort of move a Florida drive forward. They finally were able to flip the field. They did a great job of pinning South Carolina at the three. South Carolina goes three and out. If you want to sort of look at the sequence of events, they go three and out. Then, you know, on we, we talk about the fourth down conversion, but I thought the big thing about that ensuing drive for Florida was that South Carolina had three guys around Kyle Trask. And uh, it, it, it wasn't a missed tackle or anything like that. It's just Florida's offensive line did just enough to keep all three guys from closing in on the sack. Trask, I thought all – all day long did a great job of escaping the rush and keeping his eyes downfield. And, um, you know, he gets out of that and gets forward. He actually ended up getting hammered by JT eBay on that play, but it's set up a fourth and three, as opposed to, you know, if Carolina gets him down on the ground in the backfield, it's a fourth and long and completely changes the dynamic. They probably try to punt and pin South Carolina deep again. Then that puts in motion the fourth down, which Devon Kinlaw, hammers the center into the backfield, almost knocks him back into Trask. He gets blocked to the ground, sort of from the side, sort of from the back, and reaches out. He gets one hand on Trask. Trask gets away and just flips the ball out and somehow gets it into pit. And just the – I said I wasn't going to go into detail. Obviously, I did. <laughs> but I, I just I, I felt like this was one of those games that South Carolina was right there they competed. They have to be proud of how they competed. But you're seeing why Florida was a top ten team, and why um, you know why they won the game. Take away the officials, you, you also got to give Florida credit. They made the plays late, and South Carolina just didn't quite just seem ready to to be able to do that in, in a big game. They did, and uh, you know, Gamecocks, like you said earlier at the outset of the pod here, that um, you know Carolina had, had control with some things early, um, but late later inability for South Carolina to create some explosive plays and or keep the chains moving on a few third downs was, was pretty big. It, it turned into a field position game later. And when that started happening, um, especially with everything that had transpired in the game, when it got later, Florida had some things go its way that were either created by Florida or the referees or both, um, you know, I, 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 and then it became a field position game. You didn't really like where South Carolina was as much because they'd been leaning on the run a lot. They needed to create some things in the passing game, and they couldn't get it going. You know, I think if you you go back and look, and they hit one or two of those deep balls that they took, they had a guy. They had some guys with steps at times. Shy Smith had one. Uh, Brian Edwards had one or two. They had some crossing routes here and there that they could have hit. Um, but it was a variety of issues. Sometimes it's protection. Um, sometimes they just missed a few balls here and there. Obviously, tough conditions. Uh, it's not like Florida was out there just bombing deep balls either. I mean, a lot of their plays were either just a guy ran open. They had the the one play to Jacob Copeland where he went up over Jamie Robinson. That was a really good individual play on his part. South Carolina, they would like to have that one back. So it, it was just a, a lot of things like that 
that just didn't, it was just a few plays here and there, to be honest. And then, you know, South Carolina didn't help themselves on that. They had the, the unfortunate circumstances with a couple of plays that should have been called back. But you're right. You do have to give Florida a ton of credit because uh, they came in, they came back. Um, they were able to convert some of those critical, you know, that fourth down play was absolutely huge. South Carolina would have had a great chance. They could have gotten off the field there. But I think just the passing game, just the inability to create, they had some explosive runs, but the inability to create a few explosive passes here and there, I think really hampered their ability to go score more points in the game. Yeah, and, you know, let, let's keep it right there. I know that was a big topic for Muschamp after the game. That was a big topic, you know, really – on Sunday as well with the teleconference, I think it'll be a big topic on Tuesday was just the inability to create something in the passing game. And Chris, you know, I I thought, you know, obviously you you hear passing game, you think quarterback just in general. And yeah, Ryan Holinsky, you know, missed some throws down the field. We all saw it. Um, You know, he'd say that as well, but I think as Muschamp added, it it goes well beyond that. I I think it's a matter of, um, you know, trying to maybe, I don't know about narrow the passing plays, but potentially um, change the focus of the passing game maybe. Uh, and, you know, I think we also have to think about the conditions. I I thought early on as far as the, the interesting thing about this game for me was that I thought just watching how the ball was coming out of Ryan Helensky's hand early in the game, I thought he was dealing better with the elements than Kyle Trask because to me it looked like Kyle Trask was just lollipopping the ball. Like, it was, <laughs> like the thing was floating, it was wobbling. You know, he was the ball was sailing on him like crazy early on with the rain. And you know, I was like, I was like, he's gonna. I even said at halftime he's gonna throw a pick at some point. And then he threw that ball straight to Jamie Robinson for the interception. And you know, I I thought at the time that you know South Carolina would would keep firing and. Helensky would be able to find sort of find his groove in the passing game just because of the way the ball physically looked coming out of his hand. It seemed to still be spiraling. It was jumping. I didn't think that the weather was playing a huge part. But, you know, you take into account the conditions, the fact that the kid's been injured. And, you know, if, if you're going to rely on the running game, obviously that, that helps a young quarterback. It puts you in good passing situations, obviously um, better down in distance, I mean. But also, you know, we, we've seen Helensky throw the ball, I mean, what, 50-something times against Alabama, right? It was in the 50s. Um, we've seen him go out there with a the mindset of, of throwing the football. And, and I don't get me wrong, I'm not saying they need to go throw the ball 50 times on, on Saturday in the rain. But I do think there's something to be said about the fact that when a guy's throwing the ball quite a bit, he sort of gets into a rhythm. Uh, the ball feels a little better. He kind of – starts to get his feet under him and when you're when you're going run 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 pass and the passes are deep balls and you've sort of been limited in practice at least a little bit as far as the touch on these balls and and how you need to get them out there and the timing on these passes again add in the rain um i I don't don't know i'm not making excuses i'm just saying that there's a lot that goes into why the passing game wasn't as efficient. The protection, I think, still was not where it needed to be. You got guys in your face if you're the quarterback. And, you know, I, I think I think it goes back to finding that balance for this offense. I mean, you look at the you look at the rushing totals, it's easy to see why South Carolina was was sort of hard headed and sticking with the run, especially considering the conditions. But, you know, you, you get into 
I think when I think when the fourth quarter began, you know, and South Carolina was getting the ball back, I, I don't know if they threw the ball more than once or twice in the entire third quarter. So you're talking about getting the ball back when you're sort of having to go do something on offense when you've sort of been playing with a lead or tied the whole time and, and not really feeling like you've thrown the ball in, in an hour and a half. And it, it's kind of just, it, you know, it, it all, all these things I think can affect the quarterback. And now I think it's about finding that right balance between running the football and throwing the football and letting Ryan Holinsky get back in a rhythm. And, uh, but, but there's just so many – I'm talking in circles now, man, but there's just so many different factors that have sort of gone into what the passing game is. And I think you add them all together, and that's why you see the result. But I, I do think to round that all back around, I think finding some, you know, some intermediate – some easy intermediate throws, um, letting him get the ball out quick and do some of those things as opposed to screen game and deep ball game being sort of your only passing game at this point. Yeah, they're going to have to figure that out, definitely. And and look, at, again, it's not just one issue. There have been plays this season where it's it's not a one-size-fits-all, this is wrong with the passing game. You can't say well, it's only the play calling. You can't say it's only the quarterback as an accurate or it's only the protection. It's been all those things. It, and sometimes all of them at once, sometimes just one of them, or sometimes two of them. Um, so, again, football is a complex game. you got you got 22 guys on the field at the same time. Uh, carrying out things, a variety of calls. There's a lot of things that can go wrong or right on a given play. And so I think you got to look at all those different factors. You know, I understand the argument that some have made since the game. said, why is South Carolina taking a bunch of deep shots during the game? But, you know, you go back and look at those plays. There were a few of them that were pretty close. You know, it's like, it's like a step or two here or there. They were just off on a few of those, and Holinsky's made them in the past. I mean, did the rain affect his throw? Possibly. But he threw the ball well early in the game, um, mm-hmm. and I think taking some of those shots, again, if you hit one or two of them, it's a different ball game from a field position standpoint, maybe an opportunity to score. Maybe Florida feels like they got to change something up schematically, get them out of what they're trying to do um, if you are taking some deep shots. So um, – Again, a lot of times the circumstances dictate, well, you know, in hindsight, South Carolina should have done this or should have done that. That's sort of easy to say. Um, I, I, I think – I don't know if I have a huge problem with calling some shot plays here and there, even though it is in the rain, because they had some close ones. I mean, they really did. Um, and I thought Holinsky did throw the ball better than Trask. I thought he had more velocity on some of the throws early. And mm-hmm. he was – he. He wasn't accurate on the deep balls, uh, but he threw some that had a chance, and South Carolina had a chance. They got some guys free. So it was interesting, and it'll be interesting to see how they uh, how they structure things from here on out. I think regardless, this is a team that's going to continue to rely on running the football because that's what they, they have proven that they've done better, you know, in, in the last several weeks. Yeah, ran the ball very well, man. I, I just sort of threw the sack-adjusted numbers um, into a calculator here and – uh, you know, you take away the, the sacks and, and add those back in, 38 rushes, um, 200 and – well, actually, that I think I took away Helensky's little – he had, a, what, a quarterback draw for about three yards. Um, yep. So this would just be running backs and handoff to receivers if there were any. I can't remember. Anyway, um, 6.3 yards a carry, 241 yards rushing on th- on those 38 carries. So – I mean, the running game was there. They were able to, you know, grind it out at times. They were able to get explosive plays at times out of it. Uh, you know, even even though the – and we're, I think we're starting to see the 
the running game sort of, um, you know, develop not just as far as their ability to run the football, I mean, but sort of evolve as far as the running plays they're running. We saw the pin and pull so much last week against Georgia. We saw that some more, but I, I think we're seeing some different elements there, maybe a counter play here and there that are called to keep defenses guessing. And that had, um, you know, that delayed handoff RPO that, you know, came on the turnover, that thing's actually been very kind to South Carolina since they started running in a bunch the last two weeks. Um, obviously, that was an ugly play there at the end with the fumble, but um, that play's been very, very good for South Carolina, getting the ball to Tavian Feaster in space when defenses start rushing their defensive linemen up the field too much, and you sort of that's sort of a counter to that. So the running game, I, I mean, as much as we're talking about the passing game and how it needs to improve, the running game has been outstanding. Um, they've done a good job with that. You know, I think, again, it's just about finding a way, if we sort of go back big picture moving forward, just finding a way to put it all together. You know, I think we've seen the defense start to sort of come together and, and play well at, at all three levels of the defense. Now for the offense, it's about just getting everything, you know, sort of tune, fine-tuned, I think, getting Helensky 100% healthy, which I don't know if he's going to – he's been so banged up in so many areas all year long. I don't know if – if 100% is, is possible at this point. But just, you know, try, I think kind of continuing to adjust what they do. And, and I agree, you know, you have to take the deep shots. If, you know, if you look at Florida, even when they had two high safety looks, I felt like their, safe, their two safeties were just creeping up into the box almost. So, um, you know, it's kind of one of those things where if a team – if you're going to be a running team and you're going to continue to run the football as much as South Carolina has – Teams are going to do everything in their power to start creeping guys closer and closer to the line of scrimmage and try to stop that and, and try to force you out of your comfort zone. So Carolina's going to have to prove they can hit those deep shots or hit some intermediate balls and force defenses to take account for that because um, even as good as a running game has been, I think you got to have both moving forward if this is going to be a, a dynamic offense. And, and I think at this point, this probably is not, Chris, I don't think, I don't even know if the goal is to be an offense that scores 38 points a game. They've sort of gone away from the, you know, higher tempo, uh, more plays, stuff like that. It's going to be more methodical. I think right now it's it's about just being a more efficient offense is probably the, the best goal and the best way to put it, I think. Yeah, they got to they gotta be able to sustain some drives. Um, you know, too many three and outs in the last few games. I think you can look back. Certainly they had a bunch of those at Missouri – didn't do anything in the first half in that ball game. You look at the uh, the Kentucky game, you know, the third quarter, even though South Carolina won that game convincingly, uh, you know, three straight three and outs in the third quarter. You look at the Florida game, there was some of that. And that hurt field position. I mean, the Florida game was one where uh, it sounds weird in a 38-27 game, but it was sort of a a defensive battle a little bit more, which sounds strange. Uh, with that scoreline, but there were, you know, explosive plays in that game um, that I think accounted for, you know, some of those points. I mean, you look at the 75-yard touchdown run for Florida. They had another uh, few, a couple, you know, more than one uh, passing play touchdown. South Carolina had some explosive plays that helped, you know, lead to touchdowns for them. So, um, you know, it, it was a situation where they had to be able to flip the field a little bit more, whether it was explosive plays or sustaining drives. So they missed some opportunities on that front. And, you know, going back and looking at, you know, some of the some of the deep shots that they took, you know, again, Halinski missed a few guys. Was he pushing the ball a little bit more because it was wet? Maybe. 
but he missed I got some guys a few times by a few yards. Um, and those are balls that he's shown in the past that he can hit. So maybe the conditions, you know, hurt there. Uh, maybe they felt like they needed to take some shots in the ball game to loosen things up, hit one or two of them. Um, but yeah, that, that, I think they just got, I agree with you. They got to be more efficient. They got to be able to sustain some drives. And when they get around the red zone, score some more points, just be a little bit more of an opportunistic ball club. But you got to keep in mind, this is a pretty good Florida team too. This is a top 10 team. They played toe to toe with LSU. That was their only loss. They beat Auburn. Really good ball club, I think, from all indications. Yeah, definitely, man. I, uh, like I said, so I think South Carolina belonged on the same field with them. It just uh, Florida made plays, and I, I agree. I, it felt like a defensive battle to me. I think, you know, like you said, you had, you know, you had Florida pop the long run, um, you know, and then the three the three straight scores from Florida are all on short fields uh, from both, you know, punting, pinning South Carolina back, getting a defensive stop putting themselves right – I think that drive started right around midfield. Then you, of course, have the created turnover, the fumble, and then, of course, you had South Carolina's forced to go for it on fourth down, and uh, that's set up by good defensive play as well. Even, you know, despite the score, I agree. It, it felt to me like an SEC slugfest, and it was in the rain, and um, it was a very methodical game. I think both sides just sort of – it almost felt like early on, you know, South Carolina had obviously the big flea flicker that hit for a long play, but both sides, some of their decision-making as far as kicking field goals instead of going for it, uh, you know, Dan Mullen, I thought for sure they were going to go for it on one of those fourth downs, and they punt, pin South Carolina deep. It ends up working out. They get the ball back at midfield, as I said. It, it felt like an old-fashioned SEC sort of slugfest type game where I think both I think both sides were just sort of trying to hang in and then to give, you know, again, give Florida credit. We've said it multiple times. Both sides hung in, and then Florida made the plays at the end. But it, for most of the game, man, I'm sitting there watching, and I'm like, this is a close football game, but I just feel like South Carolina's controlling the, the game and controlling the field position. They're, they're able to run the football more consistently. But uh, Florida made the big plays late, and the rest is history. Um, Recruiting-wise, I know South Carolina had one official visitor. If people want to read about it, uh, Jaquez Robinson, the Alabama commitment, people can read about it on Gamecock Central. But, um, Chris, you want to real quick give some thoughts on um, on that uh, before we get out of here? Yeah, I mean, South Carolina eyeing maybe one or two, certainly one more defensive back in this 2020 recruiting class. And Robinson's a really good one from the southeast. Uh, he's been committed to Alabama since February, uh, but he has family in South Carolina. He picked up an offer this summer from the Gamecocks after he camped. And really, South Carolina has been there ever since. And so an official visit this past weekend that seemed to go really well. Uh, some very interesting comments he made to us in terms of his timeline um, and how he's going to handle the rest of this process. I think last night he was sort of hammering out some of those details. So uh, Alabama's still the program he's committed to. He's going to take an official visit there you know, later this year. But the Gamecocks are going to remain in it, I think, uh, throughout. And, and the chance to stay a little bit closer to home, I think, appeals to his family. Uh, he's not going to go to a Florida school at this point. Really, Ghana is, is the only one that has a chance to flip him from Alabama. And I, I think there's still, from what we have heard and what Robinson's told us, there's still a legitimate chance of it. And, you know, I, I think would be a huge pickup for South Carolina when you consider – you know, this is the kid that Alabama still wants. We know what, what they do on the recruiting trail. So that speaks to his talent, I think. And, 
not not a great year just nationally or in the southeast at defensive back. You know, there's not a great it's not just it's just not a great class of defensive backs. So I think for South Carolina to be able to get uh, you know, if they are able to get this kid a, a four star guy, um talented player, cover kid, um that, that would not only help fill a need but uh, would be very, very uh impressive considering that there's just not a ton of guys out there in this class. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's like you said, a little bit of a down year in the Southeast. And South Carolina's picked up some guys that they like in this class, whether it's Donald Fortune in the state or go to Georgia with Joey Hunter, down in Florida, Dominic Kills, some some three-star guys, all of them, but but guys that South Carolina saw in camp and liked a lot. And so to get Robinson late uh, would certainly be a huge pickup for this class. He's, he's a talented guy with size, really checks a lot of the boxes that South Carolina looks for in a defensive back. Good deal, and again, if you want to read about it, uh, head to GamecockCentral.com. Latest on four-star DB, Jaquez Robinson. Uh, it'll be there on the front page. Uh, other notes from today, Vanderbilt game time announced. That'll be 7.30 p.m. at Women's Bryce Stadium on the SEC Network. we got another column from Scott Davis, who is always outstanding. Our red shirt tracker, a new baseball commitment. Uh, let's see, your inside the snap count feature, which breaks down how much each player played in the, in the past game. Uh, notes from Will Muschamp teleconference yesterday. So uh, plenty of stuff on Gamecock Central for you to read, no matter what your um, preference is as far as Gamecock sports. Hopefully we got something for you on there. As always, this podcast is brought to you by both Slotsky's Deli, who sponsors our Pick'em Contest, and Terry Bishop Real Estate Group, uh, former Gamecock quarterback. Chris, real quick, you want to tell everybody about Terry Bishop and how he could maybe get him in a new home? Oh, yeah, he can get you in a new home. Uh, he can sell your home, or if you want to invest in some type of real estate property, that's your guy. A former Gamecock quarterback, huge supporter of the program. So obviously, when you're looking for somewhere to take your business, any type of business, you want a guy who, you know, Bishop checks both those boxes. Thirty-six year veteran of the real estate business. Check him out at Facebook.com/slash the Terry Bishop Team T E R R Y Bishop Team. And uh, 803-665-1442. We appreciate his support of our football coverage this season. No doubt. He's been outstanding and uh, sponsoring all of our football content this season, which is uh, awesome for us and awesome for our readers. Let's us um, really invest back into our product and, and hopefully make the site even better. Um, again, if you like the podcast, they are free. So I want you to – the best thing you do to support us there is rate, review, subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. Um, we're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're actually on YouTube. Follow us on there. GamecockCentral.com is our YouTube handle too. Um, so really, hopefully, wherever you listen to podcasts, you should be able to rate, review, and subscribe to this. For Chris Clark, I'm Wes Mitchell. This has been another episode of Another Carolina Podcast. Tune in again on Wednesday. We'll be recording on Wednesday morning, and we'll have that posted sometime Wednesday afternoon as we give um, more big-picture thoughts on Florida, but then, of course, look ahead to the Tennessee game, and uh, we'll talk to you then. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.